everyone to Girl, How'd You Get That Gig? I'm Celeste Gehring. Hey, and I am Amy G. And we are really excited to welcome in someone who obviously has a cool job in sports because those are the only people we talk to, Celeste. Cool girls in sports. Yes, women, ladies. We love it. Um, But also the lady joining us today is somebody that I've gotten to know over the past few years, and I get to call her friend. And that means more to me than anything. Maria Guardado, welcome in. She's uh, covered, she covers the San Francisco Giants for MLB.com. She's been doing that since 2019, but she's also covered the Mets and the Los Angeles Angels. We're going to, all of our Giants fans, we go, Los Angeles Angels. We don't like them very much. Maria Guardado. Welcome, my dear. Thank you so much for having me. I spent this morning binging like the first three episodes. So I'm already feeling really inspired and I'm really excited oh. that, you know, you guys are doing this project. So I think it's really going to help a lot of people. So I'm excited to be here. You're the best. You ready yes. to play a game? All right. <laughs> Maria, we're going to start off. Again. You didn't see this on the other episodes. <laughs> You'll be the first one playing our game. Uh, we're calling it Girl Gig Quick Pick in honor of the 2023 MLB change rule. So, Maria, you're going to get 15 seconds on the pitch clock to Yay. answer these questions. Oh, okay, I'm nervous. But... <laughs> All right. We're going to set the timer. And if you had a walk up song, what would it be and why? Uh, that's hard. I guess I would pick uh something from selena probably like como la flor mm-hmm. i feel like it's a classic or baila esta cumbia I'd probably go something like that oh getting a little latin vibe in there aren't you walking up to the box i like it okay next <laughs> question clock is on uh when you what's your go-to ballpark food at oracle and on the road um to be honest it's kind of boring i usually if i'm getting like concession food i, I gravitate toward chicken tenders and fries because i feel like that's going to be the safest option <laughs> Uh, so that's kind of my go-to personally. Um, yeah, unless it's San Diego, then they have really good tacos at Puesto. That's probably like one of my favorite concessions league-wide. like it. Nice. Best ballpark or city to visit on the road and why? Oh, that one's also tough. There's so many good uh, cities and ballparks out there. I think my personal favorites are probably yeah, Petco Park in San Diego, just because the weather is always amazing. Obviously, the downtown vibes are really cool. Uh, I really like uh, T-Mobile Park in Seattle. Seattle is obviously an amazing city, and that ballpark also has a cool vibe. And I also really like City Field. So I think those are my top three. Those are good. Those are good. I like those. Last one for you, and the clock is up. Here we go. Baseball is very superstitious, Maria. What is a superstition you have or a pregame ritual? Um, I suppose one of my pregame rituals is probably to drink like a chamomile tea before Hmm. um, a game. So I think that that's something I do that I tend to do before every home game. Just like classy. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Maria is very calm. Yeah. (laughs) Maria is very calm to work with in general. So that, that maybe that's the key. I just start drinking chamomile tea. I'm going to add that to my to my list of things to do. All right. So speaking of things to do, we wanted to start with your actual job that you have right now covering the San Francisco Giants for MLB.com. What are your daily duties in that gig? Yeah. So essentially I'm kind of in charge of, you know, our Giants coverage at MLB.com. So essentially what that means is, you know, I'm basically at at most games, you know, doing game coverage, doing pregame news, um, you know, doing anything, you know, obviously covering, you know, anything from injuries to trades to to game recaps. Um, so that's kind of 
you know, what I do generally, you know, I guess what that looks like on a daily basis is, you know, if it's a night game, I'll probably show up to the ballpark around three o'clock or so. Um, you know, the clubhouse tends to open, you know, um, something like four hours before first pitch. So obviously you're in there um, taking advantage of kind of that hour of pregame access to check in with guys. You know, if there's, you know, someone new, you obviously want to, you know, find out what's going on with the roster moves, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, just really taking that advantage of that time to to figure out what's going on with the team. And then, you know, you obviously meet with the manager before games, um, you know, get more information from, from him about where things stand. And then there's obviously that the game itself, which is kind of the bulk of the, of your day, obviously watching the, game writing at the same time um and then you know after that going back to the clubhouse collecting things and then coming back up and putting together your story so um I guess that's kind of you know what my day tends to look like um Mm -hmm. you know obviously kind of a grind during the season just because there are so many games um and you know we do get a little bit of a break in the off season but it can still be busy obviously with you know free agency and winter meetings and things like that so it kind of is kind of a year-round gig um and you know let's not forget spring trading so um it's busy it can be all consuming but obviously it's a lot of fun Uh, it's hard to complain when you're you know covering baseball uh, most days so uh it's a lot of fun yeah and speaking of it being a really busy 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 (laughs) grind for you um what are what's your social life like do you have one tell us about that getting right into it celeste yeah i want to know (laughs) yeah it's tough right i mean i feel like my my family doesn't know like which city i'm in half the time so i think like my dad had to like i think he keeps like he has like one of those pocket schedules from like you know that the giants give out and he's like oh you know you're in are you so and so here so um they kind of generally know my whereabouts just by looking at the giant schedule. But yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, they are obviously, you know, off days in the calendar, but you know, a lot of times those are kind of turned into errand days because you don't really have time to, to, you know, do things like laundry, you know, you know, when you're kind of caught up in the middle of season. So it is tough. Um, You know, I do try to see my family when I can and hang out with friends and uh, stuff, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to find that balance when this job is so demanding. And I think, you know, that's something that, you know, is, is, it's tricky, but I think you kind of have to find time to, to step away and unplug because, you know, it, it can really just kind of take over your life and, and become, you know, you know, you end up thinking about the giants 24 seven, which is probably not do the that. healthiest thing. So, um, so <laughs> we're yeah. not going to do that. I mean, I love the giants, but I don't yeah, want to do exactly. That. So I think you do have to, you know, take some time for yourself and, you know, unplug, recharge and things like that, because, you know, you, it's really easy to get burnt out quite frankly in this, in this type of job. How hard is that Maria, when you are starting to realize that you, you need some me time throughout this season, it is a grind. Uh, at times it's 24 seven when they're making trades, you know, she, she just got past the trade deadline. But I find, you know, for how long I've covered baseball and I do it in a different way than you do where I do have more freedom, especially now. But for years, it was every game. I missed a lot. I missed a lot with my friends. And I kind of just said, keep asking me, just keep asking me because I want to feel included, even though I can't go. I still want to feel like I'm part of it because I think some people fell out of my life because every time they asked me to do something, I I couldn't. And it affected a lot of family holidays. You know, I was never at Fourth of July or Mother's Day. You know, I was like, Mom, do you want to come to the game? (laughs) Because that's where I'm going to (laughs) be. And then you could make that like a good gift. You know, you, you figure out ways. But how how difficult has it been since 
you know, you're, you're years into it, but not a lot of years into it to find that balance of self-care and doing the job well and not freaking out that somebody's going to beat you at something. Yeah. I think it, it, it is challenging. I mean, you, yeah, you want to feel like you're not going to miss anything big, but you, you never know when things are going to happen. You know, you might, you know, not be on a road trip and then, you know, some big prospect gets called up and you're like, oh man, you start to get FOMO. But then you have to realize that, I mean, like the things that are most important in your life are your friends, are your family, are, is your support system. So I think that you really do have to kind of prioritize those things um, and, and be there when you can. I mean, I think me and my sister mm-hmm. have been like trying to plan a trip to Big Sur for like six months and it just like mm-hmm. hasn't worked out. But I think we're finally going to go like next Thursday. So I think that that will hopefully work out. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you do have to sacrifice a lot, you know, that have missed a lot of birthday parties, a lot of weddings and things like that. But um, you know, you have to try to find your spots and, you know, try to work at, work it out when you can, like um, you know um, because it is important to be there um, and, and have some separation between, you know, your work and your personal Mm -hmm. life. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's challenging. I think that, you know, this type of job is, is really demanding, but, you know, I think that if you are going to kind of have that stamina, I think you do have to take those moments to, to recharge and just kind of, you know, look out for yourself, as you mentioned, like self-care, like, you know, mm-hmm. whatever thing from like, you know, taking a bath on your off day or something, right. or like my personal form to uh, recharging is just kind of like sitting at home and watching Gilmore girls. So that's kind of what I do, <laughs> that's <laughs> a great thing, but it's what I do. So yeah. I love that. Oh man, I love that too. Um, Maria, where what is your background in sports? Did you play? Uh, I ran track and cross country in high school, but I wasn't very good. So, um, so that's that's basically all I did. How did your love of baseball develop? Yeah, so um, I guess it, I, I really have to credit my brothers. Um, you know, they did play little little league when they were younger. Um, you know, one of my oldest brother took me to my first A's game when I was like. 11 or 12 years old. And it was at the first time I'd ever been to, to any sort of live sporting event. So, you know, I remember we we took Bart to the game, like he was kind of explaining to me like what RBI is, what ERA is, and kind of just teaching me like the rules of baseball. And like, you know, once I got to the Coliseum, I was like super impressed with everything. Like I love the field. I love the vibe. I love like all the fans in the bleachers with the drums. Like I just was like really hooked. So um, it really just left a really pretty, like a deep impression on me. So um, after that day, I was just, I was left wanting more. So um, I really kind of started to just watch the games. I started to listen to the radio broadcast. You know, I started riding my scooter to to Rite Aid to pick up the papers so I can read about the A's. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I started um, to, to really fall in love with baseball. Um, you know, the A's were my favorite team growing up. So they're the ones I followed um, the most. Um, so, you know, and I had always really loved writing. So, you know, at a certain point, it just kind of occurred to me like, oh, like maybe I could like write about baseball and that would be kind of be my ideal job. So that's kind of when I started, you know, going down that path of pursuing sports journalism as a career. Yeah, let's expand on that for sure, because anybody yeah. listening is always like, you know, why we even started the podcast is how'd you get your job? So what age did you start to think, oh, I could combine these two loves of writing baseball and then how, how did you go about it? Yeah, I guess I started thinking about it when I was probably in high school. Um, the one thing that I guess was really a game changer for me was, um, you know, uh, my junior, um, I guess the, when I was, uh, going to be a, a senior in high school, I actually did this, um, this journalism program, um, at Princeton. It was it's called the Princeton summer journalism program. And it's basically a program for kind of 
low-income uh, high school students who are interested in pursuing journalism. And it's kind of all expenses paid. Um, you know, it was the first time I'd ever, you know, fl flown out to the East Coast to, to be on Princeton campus and things like that. And it was just this really amazing program because it, it was kind of run by these professional journalists um, who were, you know, basically like taught me like kind of the basics of, of journalism and um, gave us an opportunity to kind of put out like a like an actual newspaper. You, you know, we had a trip to New York where we visited offices wow. like New York Times, like Time Magazine. Uh, you know, we, we had all these different assignments where we got to like, you know, cover a minor league baseball game and like, um, you know, do things around the town. And like it was like a, a week long immersive experience. And it really yeah. changed my life, not only because it kind of was my gateway into journalism, but also because the program kind of provided a lot of um like support through the college admissions program. Like once we went home and things like that, they kind of kept in touch with us, like gave us mentors to kind of like guide us through through that process as well. And, you know, they were the ones who kind of encouraged me to to really, um, you know, aim high when it came to, to applying to colleges and things like that, um, you know. So um, they were a huge part in like helping me um, kind of step out of my comfort zone and like kind of aim high when it came to that that sort of thing. So that's kind of how I ended up at Yale at the end of the day, um, which also ended up being pretty big toward, you know, my eventual path into, into sports journalism. Well, that's where we're going, right, Celeste? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just, just talk about your path at Yale and what that was like. Our yeah. last guest went to Yale too, Maria. So we, we were trying to decide if like we should just only have people from Yale. <laughs> we didn't know anyone from Yale. What's funny? Or... <laughs> I actually covered Zena on the women's basketball team there. I think we're so oh, we're the, oh we think we both graduated from Yale uh, in the 2014, although she was in a different residential college. But yeah, so one of my so when I got to Yale, um, I did end up writing for for the college paper, which is the Yale Daily News, and it, it's really like. Um, obviously it's run by students, but I mean, it has like a really, um, professional setting in the sense that like, you know, they're, you know, student journalists who are putting out a paper basically like five days a week and covering, you know, the whole university really from top to bottom. So, um, it was really cool to kind of be able to step in, you know, on campus and have kind of like that, um, that experience of working at a paper, even while I was going to college, obviously. Um, so yeah, when I got there, I, I, I mostly did, um, I believe, uh, women's soccer, women's basketball, uh, softball, things like that. So it was kind of my first experience being like almost like a beat writer of, of mm -hmm. certain teams. Um, so, so that was really cool. It was really, I think, valuable to, to be able to get some of those bylines and just, you know, have the experience of like working on a deadline, working with editors and things like that. So definitely a really formative experience for me there. So I have a couple of different ways I want to go here, but you, you majored in history, right? So mm -hmm. I want to figure out that path because I think it's really important that people realize you can study different things and, and end up still where you wanted to go and um, broaden yourself because Zena majored in something else too. She, it wasn't communications. So I think a lot of people are thinking journalism or communications were bust, right? So you didn't. So I want to find out about that. And then I, I want to ask you about getting your bylines because I think that's a big, big tip for people. So let's start with why history. Yeah. So I, I've always, I think history has always probably been one of my favorite subjects. So um, I was just really interested in, I kind of view history as kind of like the, you know, the I like understanding like why things are um, how they are now, like the path to, to to getting there. And I feel like history teaches you like, you know, how things develop over time. Like um, you how know, we don't learn anything because we just keep repeating <laughs> it. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of lessons to be learned, I think, by studying history. And <clears throat> I think uh, one thing that's also worth noting is that Yale's a liberal arts school, so they actually don't even have like a, like a journalism major, communications major. Mm. So they really like encourage you to like, you know, pursue like liberal arts and things like that and humanities. Um, so I think it's really valuable to, to, yeah, as you mentioned, study things that aren't necessarily journalism, because I think that, you know, you can learn a lot of skills that that will help you once you kind of mm-hmm. decide to pursue that path. Like in history, for example, you know, you learn things about, you know, research and, you know, like how to how to use like primary sources, I think, and things like that. And I think that those can be really, really valuable when you're working on like features or things like that. So so for me, I just um, I, I, I just always really loved history. I think I especially loved the history in Latin America. So mm-hmm. that was kind of my personal focus. I actually ended up writing my senior thesis on like Fernando Valenzuela and Fernando uh-huh. in, LA in the in the 80s. So Uh, I found a, uh, one of my, my biggest mentors, uh, was like a really big baseball fan. And so we kind of connected over that and he was like my advisor for that whole project. Uh That was really cool. I actually got to like go to like Dodger stadium and like do research, a little bit of research there, like took a tour and things like that. So, um, so yeah, even, even when I was like, you know, a senior in college and trying to write my thesis, I still had to find a baseball angle to like keep it interesting for myself. So that's what always it's in your blood. (laughs) Yeah. That's so I didn't know that you uh, love Fernando. Um, my husband, Paul, it's his favorite player growing up. And um, actually, they're they're working on a book. Oh, that's awesome. That's I so know. Cool. And yeah. I don't know if I can reach it. I don't know where he is. I have. Oh, nobody knows this, Maria. You see my <laughs> you see my shot, right? Yeah, yeah. Nobody knows this. This is like an exclusive. Hang on. Breaking some news here. I love it. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> but I won't let him be in my shot because then Jane's fans right. are going to be mad no. at me. But this is Paul's, you guys. Sure. Everybody, yeah. this is Paul's. <laughs> He's never in my shot. Little <laughs> Fernando has to leave if I do use that shelf as my background. But, yeah. <laughs> and, and Fernando Valenzuela is literally one of the nicest human beings on the planet. Yeah, it's it was really cool. Like now that like obviously I get to go to Dodger Stadium a bunch because there are so many series against the Giants, and it, it's really like surreal still to see him. Like, it is box, and like I haven't really, like, I haven't like actually talked to him, but he'll kind of like nod at me sometimes, and like I'm like, oh hey, like yeah. So yeah, he maybe did. I, I just feel it, or he may be a Dodger, I should say, but I just feel like he had such a big impact, like you know, oh, huge, like um, huge. So, yeah, he's just a really interesting figure. So um, so mm-hmm. yeah. That's a great. Oh gosh. I love that. So, okay. I, I, and you mentioned mentors, Celeste, you go with mentors after this. I just want to uh, finish out my second question on your bylines, the importance of getting something in print, you know, here you're studying history, but you got practical experience by joining the school newspaper. And I think that's a huge tip for anybody in school or, you know, looking to go into sports. Like you want to get some practical experience. You want to get clips and which are articles that you can use going forward for interviews. So just tell us a little bit about the importance of those in your career path that you had this base from college. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's huge for any prospective journalist. You want to be able to show, you know, people that that you can put together a story, that you do have experience doing that. And there's no better way to, to do that than to give them your clips and be like, you know, here's my body of work. Here's what I could do. 
um, you know, here's my writing style. So I think it, it really is huge to, to just have that um, in your back pocket and to be able to send it off to, to people when you are applying to jobs. Um, another cool thing I think that happened to me when I was in college is that I actually um, got an internship at Sports Illustrated through the Association for Women in Sports Media. So, um, you know, that you know internship was in New York. And for the most part, I was kind of just, uh, you know, fact checking, like, you know, some of the longer form mm -hmm. articles uh, in the magazine. But I actually did get like two super like, you know, 50 word bylines in the magazine. Yeah. It was like the coolest nice. for me. And and yeah, and it was nice to be able to, to once I graduated, be like, you know, here, I, here's my byline in Sports Illustrated, you know, so that was mm -hmm. awesome. So, that's huge um, you, have, you and Paul have a lot in common I met him at Sports <laughs> Illustrated and he was fact checking yeah yeah, yeah that's kind of like the entry-level job at SI mm -hmm. um so it, yeah it is huge to just um have those because that's kind of like what you're going to use to to get people's attention and to show mm -hmm. that you you are serious about this you have done it and you want to keep doing it so definitely and establish the relationship yeah exactly right? like people that you can go back to when you're ready to get into the workforce did you want to ask about mentors Celeste Sure. Who were some of your biggest mentors that helped you? Yeah, there have definitely been uh, quite a few. I think um, anyone who who you know was gonna wants to carve out kind of a long career in this industry, you know, can't can't do it without the help of people who are kind of looking out for them early on. Um, so I think when I was in New York, uh, which is kind of where I ended up breaking in. Uh, to kind of the baseball writing world, um, you know, some people who were really instrumental to helping me early on were guys like, you know, Mark Carrig, who I believe is now at The Athletic, um, Anthony Tacoma, who's now my colleague at MLB.com, James Wagner of The New York Times, you know, Marley Rivera. Um, she's also someone who I think was really important to me personally, because, um, you know, I remember watching her, you know, covering the home run derby and, you know, interviewing Yuena Cespedes in Spanish and, and translating into English. And it was just like such a big moment for me is just being able to know that there were there was room for Latinas in this industry, um, not only and, and, you know, doing it at the highest level on TV. So um, I think that that was really huge for me personally to be able to kind of see that um, and know that, you know, there like I said, there is space for for people like me um, to do this job. So I think that those are some people who have definitely helped me out um, and, and, you know, really helped me develop um, along, over the years as well. What do you yeah, feel? Well, I was just going to go into the, the Latina part really quickly, if we could, just, I think that's so important to bring up your bilingual, uh, you are a Latina from start of your career to where you are today. What does the field look like to you? Are you seeing more Latinas, Latinos um, in the workplace where you're at? Um, and what are the challenges you faced as a female and as a female Latina? Uh, what are some successes? I, so I see it as such a, a plus that you're bilingual, especially in baseball, because you can get things other people can't get because we don't understand, right? But I think it also comes with its adversities. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, I think almost like somewhere like 30 percent of, of major league players are are Latinos. So obviously it's huge to to be able to communicate to that with them in their native language and, uh, you know, not necess necessarily have to go through an interpreter. I think it, it really is huge to just kind of be able to to connect with them um, on that level. I think, you know, just having kind of a similar background, I feel like you you kind of just know that you, you know, where each other's, where you guys are coming from. Um, and it, yeah, it, I think it is easier to get them to trust you a little bit just because they know that, you know, they're, nothing's going to get lost in translation. Like, um, and it is nice to just be able to kind of communicate with them, even if it isn't like a formal interview, just kind of like, you know, make small talk with them, you know, kind of, um, 
get to know them and understand yeah. that also understand that they, they had a really tough journey just to get here. I mean, a lot of these guys totally. who mm-hmm. signed with teams as teenagers, you know, mm-hmm. they had to leave home, Left home. Leave states, like learn a new language, like try to assimilate to the culture at the same time. they're trying to like, obviously rise through the minors. It could be, it's really tough for them. So I think just mm-hmm. understanding, you know, what they had to overcome just to get here, mm-hmm. uh, a ton too um so yeah that's definitely something that I think has really been huge for me personally I think um you know when I when I first started out at um my first job real job in sports journalism was at the Star Ledger in New Jersey so I was working a lot um you know doing a lot of Mets and, and Yankees coverage uh, at the beginning and you know when the Mets traded for UNS Cespedes I believe mm-hmm. it was in 2015 um you know, I was one of the only Spanish speaking reporters who was writing uh, for an English outlet. And so I, I managed to get things out of Cespedes that no one else did. And I think that that's something that really kind of that people took note of and honestly helped me um, end up getting a job with MLB.com after that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, people take notice. I think that the, the nice thing is that I think that there is kind of a, a growing number of uh, both Spanish speaking reporters and more women kind of making their way into the industry. I think it probably still isn't, you know, where it could be, but it is nice to to see um, a lot more people from that background kind of you know mm-hmm. work their way uh, into the industry because I think it's huge. I think it's 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 good for everyone, right? You know, I think it, it you know it I think it allows us to as reporters to kind of get better stories um, and really just enhances our coverage and allows us to get to know a lot of these players who have really interesting stories to tell. And you know, sometimes they you you know the, some people can't access them because of that language barrier. So I think it's up, for, up to us to kind of help break that down and kind of you know, shed some light on these guys, because a lot of them are, are really interesting people. And, you know, great have really stories. I know, such great <laughs> stories. <laughs> well, you know, and we, Amy and I talk a lot about mentorship. And just what would you tell the Latin community? Or what do you talk to them about? If they want to be a, a sports writer, you know, opening the doors for them and showing representation? What do you talk to them about? And what advice do you give them? Yeah, I mean, I think that just you just have to know that, you know, that if you can speak the language, it's it's going to be huge. I mean, it's something that I use every day, you know, in, in clubhouses, like it's, it's something that it's going to differentiate you. Um, and obviously this is a really competitive industry. Um, a lot of people, and it is hard to get your foot in the door, but I think mm-hmm. if you bring that um, it's, it's going to be huge. It's going to really help you. Um, you know, even I would probably tell them to even start like learning Japanese if you can, because who's the mm-hmm. biggest player on the planet? Right? <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, that could be so huge too. But yeah, it, it never hurts to to you know embrace kind of you know your own background because I think it's something that can really help uh, you in the professional setting, obviously. Um, and I guess the other thing I was to say is that it really is important to kind of you know find a way to access a lot of these professional networks because like um, you know for me like I'm someone who like you know, I'm a child of Mexican immigrants, like, you know, my parents didn't necessarily like have a lot of like professional connections, like when I was growing up. But I think that, you know, by doing things like this Princeton Journalism Program, like, Mm -hmm. you know, by getting an internship through the Association for Women in Sports Media, I was kind of able to to find a way to access a lot of these networks and build connections with people who are already in the industry. And that that's instrumental because I think that there a lot of the times they're the ones who are going to be able to give you a heads up when you know there are going to be openings that make sense for you. So um, so yeah, I mean it is huge to to find a way to to access those networks, whether it be something like just sending an email to a writer that you really admire, just you know, get kind of you know, making it clear that you you do want to get into this space because 
a lot of times there, you know, a lot of these writers will be really willing to help you out and, you know, take some time to like chat about chat with you, um, offer some advice. Um, so yeah, I think that those, those two pieces are what I would say, I guess. Those resources that Maria is talking about, Celeste, are huge. I mean, I just know Paul as a Latino uh, breaking into the sports industry. He worked for the, um, he was the sports director at the school newspaper at UNLV. It opened up a lot of programs and scholarships to him through the Latin community. There was a Chicano scholarship that he received. Um, He was in like three or four different organizations that mentored minorities. And so for anybody listening, like start asking, like, you know, the Princeton program that Maria is talking about, start asking what is around your school, your counselors, who they know these programs, because they're out there, they have money to help and they focus on minorities, which is huge. And, um, and cause when he was telling me like these different scholarships he had gotten, I'm I, like, I didn't, I didn't know about any of those. So um, they're really, really helpful. Um, one thing I remember about you, Maria, the first time I met you, what was your first spring training, probably 2019 at in Arizona, and you had baked a cake for the press box. And the rumor was the new girl can bake. This girl, she can cook. And I thought it was ingenious to... So there's a culture, I think, of sports writers, and they like to eat. Sports writers <laughs> love to eat. And so she kind of, to me, was way ahead of the game. I wasn't surprised she went to Yale when I heard that. Um, it, you know, I don't think there was any true strategy in what you were doing, but I thought it was kind of ingenious to bring yourself into the fold of a group of people. And you talk about how competitive sports is to get into. Well, when you're covering a team, you're in a really competitive situation with your colleagues and you can be friendly, but I don't know when you get to a point where you really trust people. It takes a while because you're, you're going up against each other. So can you just share a little bit about your method of working with your colleagues, networking, how you deal with the competition, you know, what the culture of being a, a sports writer and amongst other sports writers is like. Yeah. Um, I think there was something strategic about the cake though, just to start <laughs> off. Like I, I, I realized girl. that the best way to get people to like you is to give them free food. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, no, it but- kind of works across the board. It's not just sports, but sports are <laughs> really like food. Yeah, that was me trying to make friends. But anyway, um, yeah, it, the press box dynamic is really interesting because like um, you end up spending like so much time with your fellow beat writers. Like I spend way more time with like the beat writers than I do like my my family probably, which is kind mm-hmm. of sad in some ways. But um, but yeah, so you you obviously are like friendly with most of them. But at the same time, as you mentioned, I mean, they're your competitors, right? You want to beat them. Mm -hmm. You want to write the best stories. You want to be breaking news. Um, So it is kind of difficult because, I mean, you guys, we all have the same job. We all have the same access most of the time. So um, you do kind of have to, you know, find, find ways to, to differentiate your stories and your coverage. And I guess um, a lot of it comes with just, you know, you know, maybe thinking ahead, trying to come up with, with fresh angles, maybe trying to do the extra interview that no one else is going to do. So you can Mm -hmm. make it like a a cool anecdote that no one else has. So yeah, I mean, you really kind of have to just be on top of your game all the time, just try to think ahead, stay ahead of the curve. Um, And it can be challenging because like you said, I mean, there it's 162 game season, like it's kind of hard enough just to get through that grind and to, you know, constantly be 
trying to think ahead, trying to, trying to, you know, think of new story ideas, it, it can be kind of exhausting. So it, it is, it is a challenge. I actually think it's the, it's probably the hardest part of doing the job is just trying to find ways to keep, stay yourself, keep engaged, keep yourself engaged. And also like, you know, th- come up with, with fresh things with, about the team, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's kind of the same story all over and over again. So it is challenging to, 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 you know, stay fresh, but I think that, you know, that's what really, you know, makes the the top beat writers, the top beat writers, they are the mm-hmm. ones who can figure out ways to, to, you know, do something new. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's something that I think that, you know, we're always, you know, pushing ourselves to do and, you know, just trying to stay creative because, um, there are a lot of opportunities to do that in baseball, just because there is, there are so many games there, there is, you do probably have more access than, you know, say yeah. football and things like that. So you just mm-hmm. have to kind of take advantage of that and remember that, you know, you're there to, to kind of tell stories and, you know, hopefully you're, you're, you know, doing things that are a little bit different than your competitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maria, were you always this confident when you stepped in? I'm sure your confidence level might've been a little bit different when you started now. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely not. I mean, I feel like a lot of the, it's, you know, one thing that, you know, I still even struggle with sometimes is like imposter syndrome. You know, you still have mm. to, you know, fake it till you make it sometimes. You still kind of have to push through anxiety and like, you know, mm-hmm. doubting yourself. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I think that that's the one thing with, um, I think that's, that's why it's so important um, to have kind of representation in the press box is just because when you sometimes don't see as many women, as many like Latinas around you, you, you do feel a little bit more isolated um, and maybe you don't feel like you, you know, you do kind of doubt yourself sometimes. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's an ongoing process for me, even now, I think it's something that, you know, (laughs) I'm like really hard on myself. I have like really high expectations for myself. And sometimes when I feel like I'm not meeting them, I could just kind of get really, you know, I'm not in the best space mentally, but I think that just learning to kind of, you know, be confident and just know that, you know, I'm experienced at this point, I've been doing it for a while, like just remembering that and trusting myself is, is really important because yeah, there are some times where I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about my, you know, I'm, I'm kind mm-hmm. of doubting myself, but yeah, I mean, you think you just, I think that it is important sometimes to just fake it till you make it. A hundred percent. Listen, it doesn't change my dear, you know, and I'm a lot older than you, but um, I love that you shared that because that's just so raw and so true. And I think it's actually really refreshing for anybody listening to this, that they're on the outside looking and thinking it's, you've got it all put together and, you know, there's days that we don't, (laughs) but I know when I was in the broadcast, it didn't matter what my day was like. I really had to fake it because I had to be happy on camera, even if something tragic had happened in my life. Nobody knew and you can't talk about it. So you do have to grind through, through a lot of stuff. I know we're almost out of time. I wanted to ask you about building relationships with players and what your key is to that, because it's, it's absolutely, you know, the most important thing you have as a beat writer is the, the way the team thinks about you, the way they accept you, if they talk to you. Uh, and how you advise women on building those relationships with players, because we're a little bit, um, I think we're put in unfair situations at times when we do go up and talk to a player, we'll have somebody else say, oh, look at her, she's flirting with him to get the interview. Or, you know, there's all these extra things going on as a female in male sports that men do not have to deal with. And that's the judgment, the assumptions. And so what is your approach to staying 
reputable to you know, you're well liked, people respect you. And how have you achieved that? Yeah, I mean, it is challenging. As you mentioned, I feel like that's something I kind of struggled with probably when I was a little bit younger, just kind of like overthinking like things and like just, you know, making sure that like I, you know, people saw that I was there to do my job, right? So, you know, putting a lot of thought into just how I presented myself, you know, what I wore every day, like, mm-hmm. um, and and just, yeah, making it clear that I was there to do a job, like, um, and and yeah, so it can be a little tricky. Like sometimes I, I'm still like not even completely sure. Sometimes like how to ask a player for his phone number because like I don't want right. to go across the wrong way. I, I feel like that's such a like a pitfall that you know our our male competitors like don't have to think about, right? Like so true. So I, mm-hmm. I think like you know I think most players when they see you kind of every day in the clubhouse like doing your job, like being thoughtful about like you know your questions, like you know, finding common ground with these guys and remembering that they're human. Like, I think that that's something that they respond well to. Like, I think that, you know, they are obviously, you know, guys who are making a ton of money playing this game, but at the same time, they're, they're not robots. Like, you know, they're, they're humans. Um, So at the end of the day, I think if you kind of just approach, uh, I think if you're fair and you're direct and you kind of just approach things with empathy, I think that that's a way that you're going to gain kind of a lot of trust and respect in the clubhouse. So I guess that's what I try to do. But, but yeah, I mean, I think it is tricky when you're a woman and like, you know, I think it's like less of a big deal for me now, because just because I feel like in the Bay Area, especially there are a ton of women um, yes. in this market, like, you know, there's obviously Amy, but there's also Susan Slusser, there's Janie McCauley, of the mm-hmm. you know, Sonia Chen, who's uh, one of my colleagues at MLB.com. Mm-hmm. John Ryan. Joan mm-hmm. Ryan. So I just like really lucky that, you know, obviously you guys have helped kind of make it more normal for women to be. In we'll, the club. we'll take them down, Maria. If they mess with you. We're taking them down. There's enough of us now. Like we have a click. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in the Bay Area, it's almost 50 50 sometimes. So yeah, it does feel a lot more equal than when I first started. Yeah. yeah. It was like me and Joan. I'm like, oh, hey, I'm going to stand by you. And she's like five feet tall and there's me in there. I'm like, so I think I'm on my own, Joan. Yeah. So I just feel like I'm, I've really benefited from just a lot of the trailblazers who have kind of obviously made it more normal um, and accepted for women to be in the clubhouse. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I just like, you know, like I said, try to be professional every day. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, like I said, try to connect with these guys um, on a professional level. Um, I think that that goes a long way. I have a line on the phone number if you want to borrow it. I mean, it's nothing like earth shattering, yeah. but I always say, would you be comfortable giving me your phone number so I can reach out to you, you know, for whatever it was I needed for the story or the feature? Would you be comfortable with me having your phone number? And they're like, yeah, you know, <laughs> they never flinch about it, but I'm like, oh, okay. Phew, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that phone one. number question is you're so right. Cause yeah. it's like, I'm not asking you for a date. <laughs> you know, for information. Yeah. I'm not interested. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. All right. Last question, Maria. What other advice would you give to end this segment up of, you know, for journalists that are inspired by you and want to do what you're doing? What advice do you have for them? I guess I would say read widely. I think um, you know, it's it's I think it's really important to to kind of um kind of understand the the landscape of of coverage that you're putting yourself into and um kind of study some of the coverage that's already out there um and know like what you like I kind of identify like what areas you think are lacking and maybe you know where you can kind of step in and help fill that void um and also just you know 
find people who whose work you really admire and understand like why you admire it like because that will sometimes you know sort give you a little bit of a guidepost toward you know developing the type of style that you want and things like that so I think that that's pretty important um and also you know I guess networking in general I think it's really important um I, we kind of touched on it earlier but just um knowing people in the, in the industry um because they're they're going to be the ones who are going to be able to give you the heads up when there are openings um you know and they can be kind of the ones who are going to you know obviously help you help put your resume at the top of the pile um and connect you with like managers editors people who are in position to to hire so um yeah those are really important um i think so it's something that was really instrumental in my career personally so i think that those are t the two pieces of advice that i would offer Thank you for paying it forward today. Yes, thank you. Will you share your social channels so people can follow you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm on Twitter at mi underscore guardado, which is G-U-A-R-D-A-D-O. So that's probably the best platform to follow me. Although I guess it's not called Twitter anymore, right? Z? It's, yeah. But yeah. it looks like an X? Yes, that, <laughs> that platform. I just, it's hard for us to keep up, Maria. Maria, you're the best. Thank you so much. It's, I love talking to you every week and I'm so glad that you could do this. I think you are so inspirational and such a great role model. So really appreciate your time. All right, thanks so much. See you, Maria. Yay. See another friend. Yay. Yay. She was great. I know she's just, the, and she's really like that nice and calm all the time around a lot of people <laughs> who aren't. And so she's, yeah, people really gravitate towards her. I think you can understand why. So that's number four in the mm -hmm. can. We're nice. still close to a hundred. <laughs> We're on our way. Uh, number five is going to join us in September. Who's on tap, my dear? Amy, it's going to be Cosmina Schulman, who is the SVP of sales for Nesson. Not only is she a sales whiz, but she slays it when it comes to advocating for women in the New England area. Oh man. I love people who slay. Just let's, that's all, all we have day. in the show anyway. People <laughs> who play. All right, I cannot wait for that. For Celeste Gearing, I am Amy G. Thanks for listening to Girl, How'd You Get That Gig? And make sure that you tune in to our After Hours show where we're going to break down a couple of points that uh, Maria brought up and take our own take on that, have our own take on that. And uh, make sure that you like and follow us. Our social platforms are at Girl Gig podcast and then subscribe to our um, podcast on anywhere where you get your podcast, Spotify, iHeart and Apple. So um, we hope that you're following and enjoying and we'll see you next time. Bye.